0: Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m., worship gathering at 9.30 a.m., or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor John Buckley. We're continuing in our Samuel, our First Samuel series. Uh, we'll have it this week. Next week, I'm going to cover the first half of 1 Samuel here, chapter 14. And then uh, next Sunday, Don Stubbs will be with us, and he'll be able to cover the second half uh, of the passage. And I titled today's message, A Tale of Two Men. Now, when you open up, if you were to open up kind of, so to speak, the opening credits of, uh, not credits, but opening scenes of a movie, and you looked at the situation that was taking place here in Israel— It didn't exactly look like a rah-rah time. It didn't look like a time that you'd necessarily want to be a part of things. I mean, Saul is the king now. He's been supported now. The tribes have gathered together to make him their king and are, are looking to him as the leader. But the Philistines, they're still there. And not only are they there, but they are pressing in on the Israelites, And right at this point in time, if you uh, look at chapter 13 leading in this, you see a lot of things that happen. First of all, they'd given up their ability for a long time to make their own weapons. So most of the guys, as they came here to stand up against the Philistines, had things like rakes, maybe some axes, but not anything that would be spear-like or swords or bows and arrows even that they had. They didn't have the armor because all of that was built, made in the the nation of Philistia. And the Bible even says that the Israelite army just didn't have that at the time. Now, on top of it, the Israelite army was so demoralized that there was only 600 guys that were standing army, so to speak, right here at the time. Where was everybody else? Well, they either gave up and turned themselves over and they were fighting for the Philistines or they were hiding. Boy, that's going to bring a lot of confidence in the king of the nation, Right? It's me against thousands with 600 guys that you hope will stick with you while you got guys hiding out, and your rest of your army is actually fighting against you now. And that's what chapter 14 we open into. But I think it's interesting to note here that we're going to be exposed to two different men that are in the same situation that choose two completely different paths, And I want to encourage you as you listen to the message today, as you process it, and ask yourself, who do you best associate with as you look at this passage here? Do you view yourself in 1 Samuel 14 more of a Saul or more of a Jonathan situation? So 1 Samuel chapter 14, we're going to look at this father-son, the character that's revealed and the choices that are made. So the first thing I want to talk with you about is Jonathan chose to act, and Saul chose to wait. Jonathan chose to act, and Saul chose to, uh, to wait. So he set the stage for you, and we go into verse 1, it says this. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate in, in the cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, listen to this, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So here's how it opens. Where is Jonathan? Jonathan's sitting there and he goes, You know what? We're just standing here waiting. And humanly speaking, we got 600 guys. This isn't looking too great, but you know what? We got to do something. So Jonathan grabs his armor bearer. Usually an armor bearer was a younger guy, a soldier in training. He would carry the armor and the baggage that would go with the, 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 uh, uh, the, the warrior he was uh, assigned to. Sometimes that meant he carried his shield with him. Sometimes he might carry a spear, whereas the warrior might carry the sword. It just depended. But basically he was a glorified butler, so to speak. And, and so Jonathan goes off with this armor bearer, this young man, and they head in one direction. He doesn't tell his dad. Now, why doesn't he tell his dad? The Bible doesn't tell us. We can speculate, well, well, he thought his dad would say, no, you can't do it. His dad would say, you know, oh, try to discourage him in it. Um, His dad would be upset with him. His dad would be embarrassed by him. We don't know that. We just know the Bible says that Saul didn't know about this, nor did anybody else. They just kind of snuck out of camp. And where's Saul? Saul, the king of the land, is over by this cave where there's a bunch of pomegranate trees, and he's just sitting there with the priest, now, interesting, the priest that he'd chosen to take along with him was the son, grand, great-grandson of Eli, and Eli, if you remember, had the whole priestly line thing taken away from him because of the way that he and his sons dealt with their duties. And now he's got his grandson there, so he got grandson of a guy that was cast out, and Saul sitting there in this defeated stupor with 600 guys milling around underneath the pomegranate tree by a cave, wondering what's going to happen just waiting. You don't see him praying. You don't see him making sacrifices. You don't see him tapping into Samuel. You don't see him doing anything. You just see him sitting there having the wrong guy probably there alongside of him waiting while Jonathan goes, we need to do something. We can't just sit here and do nothing. And I think that's a really good challenge for all of us to consider. Are we looking to do what God wants us to do? Paul told Timothy, in fact, to go find faithful men and women to go and to do the work of ministry. Go find people that are doing things. I don't, when people come to me that aren't involved in, in, in missions and then want to say, hey, I think God's called me to a mission field, I'm going to go, wait a minute. <laughs> There's some steps involved before that. And when I look at Christianity today, I see a lot of similarities between Saul and Jonathan. A lot of Christians who are like Saul who are sitting around hoping that God will write in the sky what we're supposed to do rather than doing this. And this is what I remind myself of often when it comes to those times of I'm not sure. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. So I sometimes come to points in my life where I'm not sure the next thing, but I know what God's already called me to do. I know the things that God's put in front of me that I'm supposed to do. I I know that I'm supposed to be getting his word. I know I'm supposed to be praying. I know I'm supposed to be looking for opportunities to share my faith. I know I'm supposed to be growing to be the husband I need to be and the father I need to be. I know that I want to be the neighbor and the pastor and the community member. I know those are things that God's called me to do. So I I don't always know the big picture and and what's laying out there. And believe me, I'm a guy that likes to know 10 years in in the future. But When I get in those times, I go, but you know what? What do I know that I'm supposed to do? Because I can do that. And I think the devil puts a lot of us in a situation when we don't know the big plan, we just sit there and twiddle our thumbs and go, well, I don't know what to do then. When there's many things he's placed right in front of us that we're supposed to do. Or do we take more of the Jonathan that goes, well, I do know this. I know I can't just stand here and do nothing. So I know that they're the enemy, and I know that God's enemy, because they're our enemy, and we're God's people. And I'm at least going to get a little closer and see what's going on over there. Because right now, we don't really know, but just standing here isn't doing anybody any good. Are we willing to act on the things that God's told us that we are to do? Are we willing to try to be the husband or wife that God's called us to do? Or child or parent? Or employee or employer? Or community member? Or Christian? doing the things God's called us to do, and to do those to the best of our ability. So Jonathan went. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. Then we see kind of a split there. We're going to come back to Saul, but now we're focusing on Jonathan. Jonathan chose to see what God would do. And This is an awesome story. Verse 4. So it starts out and says this. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. Always the path we're always going to want to take, right? And then it says, and the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sene. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. And Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come let us go over to the garrison of those uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing for nothing for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. So Jonathan goes to one of their outposts. Now outposts were military encampments that either were literally literally forts or they were in protected kind of uh, rocky crags might have been or in other kind of uh, protected ways that they had a good vantage point in case any enemies came. And that would be a place where a lot of times the troops would go to get rest, they'd get resupplied. They were outposts that were kind of right on the edges of the battle line to keep an eye on what was going on in the, on the enemy's uh, um, battle um, territory. And so Jonathan goes along, and of all the places he picks, this place in front of Micmash there, and on both sides, and by the way, the one word means slippery, and the other word means thorny on the, on the two words there. So we're not talking that he went and go, oh, man, look at this nice little path up here to this outpost. We'll just kind of scamper along the way, and we'll go up there, and we'll just pop in and, and introduce ourselves. Now, even before he got to where he wanted to go, there was an obstacle in front of him. Now, some of us, when we see those obstacles, would have gone... Yeah, <laughs> that's thorny. And you know what? I, I got poison ivy, you know, just by looking at it. Um, and I want to get scratched. I mean, there's a new robe that I have here. Uh, and, you know, it's slippery. And you know, I might fall and scrape my knee. And it might be really hard. And it's just me and this young guy anyways. And if I fall and break my arm, is this young guy going to be able to help me anyways? And there would have been lots of reasons for him to go, okay, there's, here's already a barrier. I'm supposed to go up there to that outpost. I'm down here. It's going to be a hard journey but I love what he said. And this shows you the character of the man. It may be, I'm not sure, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Again, he was just doing the acting part. I'm not quite sure, but maybe, maybe God's gonna want us to do something that we can be used by him. So what does he say next? I love this. It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing, can hinder. For nothing can hinder the Lord. Now I'll be honest, there's lots of times I don't believe that. There's lots of times by the way I live my life, I live in a way where I don't think that God can do the impossible. There's things that I think that are too big for God. And if we're all honest, probably most of us have times in our life where we think this one is too big. And when we Get that mindset, we fail to tap in the power of God to be able to be a part of the things that God wants to get done, where He wants to blow our minds. He is the God of the impossible. And I'm not saying in some selfish way that we ask God to, you know, tomorrow morning I get up and I go on my online bank account and wow, God, I got a million dollars. Not necessarily looking at those kinds of situations. But there are many situations that we run into on a day-to-day basis that seem insurmountable. There's situations that we're aware of. There's things on my prayer list that I pray and go, God, humanly speaking, this is never gonna turn out good. That situation is never gonna right itself. Those people are never gonna turn back to you. That person's never gonna accept your gift of salvation. That need is never gonna be met. And then God reminds me, you don't know how I'm going to work in that situation. But do you have the faith to even trust me to take that first step? Jonathan may have gone up to the top of that outpost, and this story may have said, and Jonathan got killed. And that would have still been a part of God's plan. In this situation, Jonathan, although you can tell he had doubts, he may, the, the, the Lord may do this, but even if he doesn't, I know this, God is the God of the impossible. And I am concerned that we as Christians too often look at the world around us and think, let's just throw in the towel. Families are falling apart. The workplace is more violent. The political landscape is horrific. Let's just throw in the towel. This is the time, my brothers and sisters, when above all, we need to be the light and the salt to show people that God is still at work, that God is still on the throne, This is the time when the darkness is so dark that light shines so bright. Now, it might not be your calling to go and evangelize a village in another part of the world, but God puts you where you're at to make a difference in your home, and in your neighborhood, and in your job, and in the places that he has you, if you'll allow him. But Pastor John, you have no idea what I'm dealing with. I'm telling you, you're right, I don't, but God does. And I love it when I meet people that when I look at their life, I think, man, when I was a, a pastor at Faith in Sellersville, we had a, a, quite a few folks that were seniors, and many of them were, were not able to get out of the house. And so we would go around as pastors, and we would go to people that were shut-ins and do communion with them. I had my little portable communion set in there. It's really hard to pour grape juice in these little tiny bottles. And uh, so we'd get it all together, went there. And I always thought, man, Lord, help me when I would pray. Help me, Lord, to be a blessing to the people I'm gonna go see. And folks, I would walk into apartments that smelled. I'd walk into situations where wallpaper was peeling. I'd walk into them where I saw their physical conditions were deplorable. I walked in with people who had nobody in their life. Nobody. I'm not saying they didn't have family members, but nobody was in their life. And I would sit with some of those sweet saints of God who would tell me stories of tragedy and they would still look me in the eye as their bodies quivered, and they would say to me through those wrinkled eyes, but God is still good. But God has still got me, but I've not given up hope because I know God loves me. Folks, I always left those times being much more blessed than I'm sure I ever was to the people I went to. We need to be the champions of the impossible because we have a God that can accomplish the impossible. Now we don't know what God will do, but do we believe enough even to take the first step and see what God does from there? Jonathan looked up. He saw what was in front of him, and I love the last part of that line. He goes, "Because um, and from uh, from the can, nobody can hinder the Lord from saving by many." or by few. God's never about numbers. God has never been about numbers by many or by few. That's especially an American thing. But then he goes on, verse 7. And his armor bearer said to him, you are crazy, let's go back to the camp. That would have been my response perhaps, but no, that's not what happened. His armor bearer, what does he say? I love this. Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. I tell you what, you'd be amazed what a blessing you can be to somebody if you can just be an encouragement to them as they tackle the things that God has in front of them. Man, you be that Barnabas. You be that person that sends that text, sends that note. Be that encouragement to somebody else. Sometimes I send encouraging notes and people are encouraged by them, and sometimes it doesn't turn out that way. But I know that as we're led by the Lord to do that and be that encourager, man, we can have that spirit of that armor bearer. Whatever, because I'm with you heart and soul. And to have that unity even as a body or with each other heart and soul to be able to see what God's going to allow us to do right here in the Upper Perk Valley and way beyond the Upper Perk Valley. Then verse 8 says this. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we'll cross over to the men and we'll show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand still in our place and we'll not go up to them. But if they say, come on up to us, then we'll go up for the Lord has given them into our hands and this shall be the sign to us. Now, it's kind of a crazy sign, but it's not uncommon. In Judges, we know that Gideon said, hey Lord, I'm gonna lay out this fleece. And if you make it wet and everything else dry, I know this. And if you make the ground wet, he did it again. And the fleece dry, I know this. So there's times, and you can again, you see you see the faith and the trust of Jonathan, but also the hesitancy. I'm not just going into that outpost, swords of flailing, if it's not what God wants me to do. So he lays out that fleece, so to speak, before it. Verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come on up to us and we'll show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. So they go up there, and remember, the Philistines were used to this. They're used to having, so we know that even in his hesitancy that Jonathan gave the thing that he thought would probably be received by these Philistines. They were used to having Israelites come up and go, yeah, you know what, you know, our army's in trouble, hey, I'll join your army, or hey, can you help me out because I'm starving? They were used to that, so I think Jonathan knew they would probably go, yeah, come on up, more of these guys, more of these Hebrews, more of these losers, come on up, join the fray, go to the back of the line, and Jonathan as he hears that goes to his armor, God's got us. Now he didn't know exactly what that meant, but he knew he needed to go up to the top of that hill with his sword out, ready to take on whoever God had in front of him. And then it says in verse number 13, then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed after them. Verse uh, 14, and that first strike with Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, killed about 20 men within as it were a half a furrow's length and an acre of land. So it was a pretty small piece of property there. And there was a panic in the camp and in the field and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a very great panic. So Jonathan gets in here. He immediately pulls out a sword, starts fighting. In a short period and space of time, he kills 20 guys. And somehow through that, quote unquote somehow, God through that, 20 guys, that's it. We're talking thousands of Philistines. 20 guys get knocked off in one small outpost, but it ripples. And it goes outside of the outposts into the fields, into the army, and the raiders. Now, the raiders, they were the hired guns. They were the guys who were supposed to be the bravest of the brave because they, the, they wanted the prophets that happened when they conquered because that's when they got you know, part of the gold and the silver and the slaves when they actually took over territory in Israel. They were there to stay because they wanted some of it, and they knew the Israelites were pathetic. And even they were scared, the Bible says. And I love the last part of it. <clears throat> Into the field, it says, and into the, uh, um, to the, to the garrison, even to the, 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 the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked. So there goes the ripple effect by God, and then God decides to throw in an earthquake in the middle, middle of it all. So there's already pandemonium. Did you hear what's happening? There's like thousands of Israelites coming. Yeah, no, there's millions of Israelites coming. And in the midst of all that panic, God sends an earthquake. Wow, isn't God cool? Jonathan and his armor bearer start this ripple effect. Not because Jonathan and his armor bearer were these great men. It's because they were obedient men. They trusted God. They did what God wanted them to do. When Saul's sitting down under a pomegranate tree, which we're gonna go back to him in a minute, he's out there not doing much. 20 guys isn't much. But God took that little bit of obedience and trust, even when there was some wavering, He did amazing things. Folks, I feel like a lot of times I go to Jesus with my loaves and fishes and go, how are you going to feed all this? I go to him and I feel like, Lord, I got so little here. But that's what I love what Jonathan said. God's not a God of the few or the many. It doesn't matter. God's the God of obedience. Are you willing to go to God and open your palms and say it's yours? And if you're willing to do that and take on the obstacles, then God will lead you step by step by step. And along the way, you get to see God do some really cool things. Some mind-blowing things. I've been doing ministry for a few years, and there certainly have been many discouraging times. But I've also seen God do mind-blowing things. You all here today are an experience of what God decided to do nine years ago in the Upper Perk Valley with just a few people. And now look at what's going on. Is that because we are great people? No, it's because we have a great God, and we're willing to be obedient to what he wanted us to do. And there were some scary days, some real scary days. But God is the God of the impossible. So meanwhile, back at the farm, verse number 16, we saw, saw that Saul chose this test. So we got D- Jonathan, we see that. Now, we got to pull back a little bit. Now, back over here in the pomegranate field, you know, in the cave, nice safe spot, we got Saul sitting there. What's the Bible say about this? Verse 16, and the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. I love that, just such a simple way. It's like the output that, you know, the guys that are watching, they go back. I like the dispersing here and there. Like there's pandemonium going on. Hey, Saul, by the way, there's like guys running everywhere. I don't even know what's going on, but the Philistines, they look really confused right now. looks like something's up there. I mean, they're like dropping swords and there's this crazy stuff going on, Saul. Now, here's the king of the land. He's got 600 guys still. Something's going on in the Philistines. So this, of course, would be the natural response, right? Read here with me in verse 16. And behold, the multitude is dispersing here and there. Verse 17, Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who's gone from us. Really? I mean, really. This is the time to go, Okay, buddy check. Let's see who's still here. Who cares? Who cares who's still there? Who cares who started it? God's doing something. Grab your swords, grab your rakes, grab your axes, and let's go. But no. Oh, they, they do that. Verse 17, um, and when they counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer out there. So that alone, okay, well, Jonathan's out there fighting. This is my son out there. Let's go help him out. What's happened in verse 18? So Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. Are you kidding me? Really? Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at the time with the people of Israel. Now, while Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. I love this. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Hey, you know, maybe we don't need a test. Okay, I know you're in the middle of something, but stop. Stop what you're doing. Why? Because God chose to give a victory. Verse 19 and on forward. Verse 20. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword. you hear that? every Philistine's sword was against his fellow. And there was very great confusion. Isn't God amazing? So God has Jonathan and his armor bearer knock off 20 guys, and that sends this repercussion. God sends an earthquake. In the midst of it, God knows the Israelites are running around as an army with rakes and hoes and axes. Ooh, that's really kind of terrifying against an army with armor and spears and swords and, 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 and all that. So what's God do? I know, they don't have much armament. I'll just have them attack each other. So there's the Philistines. Ah, I don't know how you do that. I mean, the guy's your buddy and you're chopping his head off. I mean, what's happening here? But they're going at it with each other. There's bedlam everywhere and confusion, the Bible says. Man, twofold blessing. First of all, the Israelites don't have to fight with the rakes. Secondly, they're going to get swords and spears at the end of all this. So they go at it with each other. And then it says in, in verse number 21, now the Hebrews who'd been with the Philistines before that time, and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they turned to be with the Israelites who were Saul and Jonathan. Don't you love that? Then they have the unification, Saul and Jonathan. Now they're back together again, doing what they're supposed to be doing. Verse 22, Likewise, when all the men of Israel, who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. I love verse 23. So the Lord, the Lord, the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle passed beyond Beth way beyond the border of what they expected. God chose to give a victory. So I just have a few questions I'd encourage you to consider. Are you waiting on God when you should be acting? There's definitely times in our life to wait on God, but I feel like when we think wait on God, it means do nothing. No, even in our waiting, we can do what we know we should do when we don't know what to do. We can still do that. Should we be acting? Are some of you maybe waiting on a ministry God's passionate you about? Maybe waiting on getting involved in a certain way? Maybe you just have lots of reasons why you can't do something? I encourage you, take action, don't just wait. And even in your waiting, you can act. Number two, are you afraid of man or confident in God. Folks, the fear of man is huge. I know I battle it. I know it's times it creeps its ugly head up, and I pray frequently that God will continue to help me to slay that. When you read passages like this, it reminds you and me that we don't have to be afraid of man, because we serve the God of God's We serve the God that made this planet, the God that loved us so much he sent his son to die on the cross. That's who we get the opportunity and privilege to serve. That should excite us but also embolden us because God's not asking you to figure it out. Isn't that freeing? God isn't asking you to figure it out. He's asking you and me to be obedient. Are we willing to be obedient? Are you allowing the fear of man stop you from doing things when you can be confident in God? And then lastly, just simply, are you willing to let God use you? Are you willing to let God use you? I think that's a big question for all of us. As you look at your life, what parts of your life have you closed off to God? Perhaps you sit here today and you've never even asked Christ to save you. I encourage you today, God would love for you to become his child today. Christian, what parts of your life are you saying, God, you can do this, this, and this, but this one, no, don't touch it. God, this drawer is mine. This room is mine. That area is mine. Off limits to you. Do not touch. No trespassing. Why, excuse me, why are you unwilling to give it all to God? Probably back to that question before, fear. (laughs) We're afraid. But are you willing to let God use you? Because tomorrow morning, You're going to be somewhere that God can use you. Are you going to be ready? Are you going to be willing? Are you going to be looking and praying for those opportunities? A tale of two men. Jonathan, Saul. Who do you best connect with? What's the challenges that you can give to yourself through that? Jonathan had to overcome physical obstacles, the fear of man, the uncertainty of what God would do, but he kept doing it. Saul decided to sit under a pomegranate tree, and just do nothing? What will we do with what God's given us? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage, God. Thank you for the amazing challenge it is to us, Lord. And thank you for these reminders that you are the same God that defeated the Philistines before the Israelites, that lives in our heart in the form of the Holy Spirit each and every day if we're your follower, God. And I do pray again today that if there's anyone here that's never taken that step, that today would be their spiritual birthday, Father. And we ask all this in your precious name. Amen.